welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not outside riding or running or yogaing, I'm probably inside writing or talking about it. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we talk about all different types of movements and talk to the people that do those movements and try and bring those those learnings back to our own lives and the sports that we do. I feel like next week I'm just going to jump into the intro and do that, and you're not even going to know what to do with yourself. Well, it's good to have routine. <laughs> Speaking of routine, we have not had one in, in quite a few weeks, but that's okay. Lots of good, exciting stuff going on. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. We got a little bit of time at home. Like two days. That's yeah, pretty solid. that's routine. Yeah. Um, yeah, what have we what have we been up to this week? I'm um, just trying to develop routine, I think, not to hit that one on the head. But yeah, we're sort of just in the hunkering down here for winter. I feel like the leaves have started changing even. I know. It's really disconcerting. Yeah, it's like, only August, but uh, I know yeah. We, we joked a couple of weeks ago that cross was coming, but I feel like it took us really seriously up here in Ontario. And yeah, suddenly leaves are changing. Temperatures are dropping. It's... It's a very odd thing. I I thought summer was supposed to last like well into September. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see, I guess. I'm hoping there's still a couple more hot and humid days to come. But but I'm excited because tomorrow I'm doing a 43K trail run with a couple friends. And it's supposed to be like 70 and sunny and should be a really like pretty ideal temperature, I think, to be out. Yeah, that's exciting. I, I'm still trying to recover from this three-day stage race last week and trying to be patient and and not uh, go back too soon and so forth but we'll see well i'm not gonna lie i think we're gonna do a lot of hiking for some of the climbs that are in this one uh we're you know on the niagara escarpment so there's a bunch of ups and downs in this 43k so sounds like a good adventure yeah it should be really fun i'm excited for it well we have lots of nutrition questions today is there any other newsworthy items that you want to cover before we get into those well i guess just the the typical nutrition reminder would be well, we'll get into the disclaimer, but also if you want more on nutrition, I do in fact have an entire book on the subject, uh, Fuel Your Ride, and it's been out for a couple of years now, but I think the information is still is pretty that, relevant. Is that the disclaimer or is that... No. 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 The disclaimer is that even though we're talking about nutrition and answering questions, right. the usual disclaimer is that nutrition is such an individual concept right. and... We're not doctors and so forth. Yeah. And right. what works for one person is not going to work for the other person. Right. So ideas to try maybe and experiment on yourself mm -hmm. and get help when you need to. Mm -hmm. Lots of great people. We've had several on the podcast, but lots of people you can reach out to RDs. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, should we get into it? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. First question is from Rob and he wants to know how to figure out nutrition for long multi-day multi-event competitions like track nationals. So there's lots of these athletes go to these important events where they want to perform well, but unfortunately there's not many opportunities to experiment with that format, uh, where that format being five or eight hard races over around two and a half days. The races could be short from a 250 meter sprint to a 20 minute bunch race, but they are intense and require long warmups and cool downs. Right. So, First thing I'm thinking with this is, yes, you might only have two of these track events in a year, like where you have these two and a half day, three day competitions, but it's not to say that you can't structure your training to mimic these, even on the road, if you're not at the track. 
Um, I think you can do, you know, long endurance rides where you sprinkle in some of these hard efforts. Like you can certainly, you know, do 40 minutes as your warm up and then do a 250 meter ish sprint, you know, cool down for another 30 minutes, warm up for another 30, do a hard 10 minute effort or, you know, whatever it's going to look like and, you know, do a long workout like that. Yeah, I think that's you're going to see that in road and track programs for sure, where they're doing just sprinkling intensity throughout the ride, really long warm up. So rather we're all used to sort of our five minute ramp up and then hit your your sweet spot intervals. Right. But this might be, you know, ride for an hour or two and then get in some work uh, and then, you know, finish off the ride. Right. And that might be a five hour ride or something. So at the elite level, at least that's what you'll often see things too. you could sprinkle sprints throughout the ride or something like that too. Um, so you'll see that like sprint every 20 minutes or, um, I think one that got stolen from Mike Woods was like an animal sign type ride where sort of every time you see a sign that has like some sort of indication of an animal, you have to sprint. Oh yeah. We had the town line rides in Massachusetts because yeah. there's tons of small towns. So. Yeah. You got to sort of pick the signs, the type of signs you have, I guess, but, uh, and sort of make sure that fits with the objective. Um, the other piece to this, I guess, is the nutrition piece. Like, I don't know if that, that does enough with the training. I think the, I guess the only other piece on the training would be you could do double days before and after work, um, before and after school, lunch hour works just to try and get those multiple bouts. Cause I assume at the track, you're not riding for five hours. You're sort of warming up event, cool down, sit around for a bit. Um, so, so simulating that isn't that hard and often is actually quite convenient. Like I actually really like the double days and there's, I think good reason to do double days for a lot of people so yeah so the reason we mentioned training first is just this you know this doesn't have to be a twice a year thing that you go into completely blind or feeling really unprepared for Mm -hmm. Um, because you know when you're doing this kind of training then you're actually also training your nutrition Um, side note though with the with the track thing where you're warming up doing your race cooling down and stopping for like an hour or whatever please change your chamois if you can Um, Yeah, that's going to make you feel better for sure. Just putting that out there. (laughs) Yeah, and I think I would take some, um, do some poking around and find, you know, coaches you can talk to or or observe competition or read some books from sports like rowing, sports like CrossFit would be something that's really hot right now. And there's lots of movies on Netflix you can watch and maybe sort of pull out some information because they're, again, things where there's like competitions throughout the day for a few days. Um, and they actually had the cyclocross race they did there oh, uh, yeah, yeah. a couple years ago as part of that. So they had a cyclocross race in the middle of all these other things they were doing. They did a crit last year, I think. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of other sports that do this. And I think it's just that's you try and make that your everyday, so to speak. Right. You're just you're used to multiple bouts of training. And cycling's a really odd sport because we don't do very commonly you don't see people doing double days and stuff as as obviously it's all about the five hour epic rides uh but most other sports do do that running it's very common marathon running it's very common ultra running you'll even see a little bit ultra running tends to go more towards just all day but i think a lot of the smart people are doing double days rowing is huge on double and triple days certainly crossfit strength training so i think looking towards those other sports might be smart Mm-hmm. I'd also question that warm up. I'm not a track coach, but I don't know how long you actually have to warm up. There's some good, tr- there's actually like track based and TT based stuff that sort of questions that a little bit. I think, I think like university of Alberta did a good study on warming up for track stuff. 
And I'm going to throw out that like even the cool down has been like you Calgary. definitely need to cool down. But the how long is definitely up for debate. Yeah, I'd play with that and see what you again. This is we're in training. Maybe you can play with that a bit, too, and just see like what are the differences, too. But because mm-hmm. but- sometimes I wonder if we just sit on the trainer randomly just to like it's a mental, which might make it worthwhile, too. But um, just being careful with that, too, how much you energy you just sit there burning versus if you just got a sprint right how much mm-hmm. do you like is a 10 minute sort of ramp up good enough uh nutrition wise i would just i think that's where double days and stuff right you want to be ready to go sooner so that's where some of these recovery shakes and powders can be good uh you could certainly go whole foods but you know, again try that in training yeah i mean i think this is this is definitely one of the times where fat and fiber are probably not going to be your friend throughout this day or even these two days yeah um so i would really steer clear of like the huge serving of steamed broccoli for dinner or for lunch obviously um, yeah i mean i think you could do like a rice and eggs type thing and it would probably go down if you had a bit of a, a space there but i think you'll also see just recovery sort of whey based being pretty common Mm-hmm. and you know the usual caveats of don't try anything new on race day mm-hmm. um, i think it is it is tough though like, when would you uh like, take a gel or like would you take a gel or something like that for some of these shorter events or is there a duration where you'd start being like okay like five minutes before i'm gonna do the gel at the line kind of situation yeah i don't it's a little out of my wheelhouse, but I, if it were me and, you know, it's th- thinking about towards like short track racing or something like that, uh, would be probably the closest that I've got. Um, yeah, just in that warm up, I might do that ahead of time, especially for the, the second effort and stuff too, just to try and keep, it's the taste of the fuel as much as it is the, the actual fuel for the event, right? Like I can see where your head's thinking like, well, it's not even going to get absorbed right if especially for those short things but sometimes just that taste right so i think we can say you know kind of eating you know snacking away on your your bars or having some you know protein powder post event but then say like 15 minutes out from each event like one or two of like those you know um like shot block type things where you're just getting you know it's not even like a hundred calorie gel it's really just a couple yeah, gummies and I think you get a little bit of sugar in like- there like some orange slices or something like that too, or, you know, a bit of a banana or something. Again, I think it could be something like that almost just more for the taste, but then also the, the fuels there for when you need it and might be for the next mm-hmm. effort eventually. Right. Yeah. But definitely, uh, you know, try all of that stuff in practice, obviously. And this is why it's so important to set up your training with kind of a similar event setup, just so you can, you know, for some people, there's a chance that doing that gel 15 minutes before the start of a 250-meter sprint could lead to some disaster. Sure. And I mean, in that case, again, I, I would almost probably bias to the sports drink. Yeah, for just sure. Because, again, the amount isn't almost as important as just having that taste there and mm-hmm. makes it a bit more convenient. Sip uh, away at. Yeah. And I mean, I'd also just stress like the importance of especially with like the open air tracks when you're talking about summer, um, just hydration throughout the day, but even the indoor tracks, like they can actually be pretty dry because they're pretty climate controlled, mm. uh, for the woods. So just making sure that you're kind of constantly sipping on, you know, water bottle with like a little bit of salt or an electrolyte tab or something in it just throughout the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. On to the next, uh, this is, 
like almost the most like opposite end of the racing spectrum and i love it i don't want to go back one second because i feel like most track practices do have like starts and stops as well like i think there's a lot of like at least the files i've seen from people like drop-ins and so forth are like you get eight minutes on the track and then you're off or something like that too yeah, yeah. yeah yeah and you sort of have to sit around for a bit and then you go again so i think there is the opportunity at least on the mic like this would be like a a smaller example it's not a full day but it would be like in an hour you're like on and off and on and off and so you can experiment there a bit with nutrition and Mm -hmm. starting and stopping and recovering between bouts i think even on that like you know you have 10 minutes off between i think even that would be you know a chance to practice that and see what works Mm -hmm. sorry no that's that's all right and i mean i think if you just look at any like you know crossfit games no one is like stopping and like you don't really see a lot of people like doing a gel or swigging a gatorade right before the start in a 5k you wouldn't really see that many people like gel on the line kind of thing um so i think a lot of the races that are as short as track events you don't really see a whole lot of like panic about nutrition immediately prior to the race it's much more of like a full day kind of like overall thing versus an acute yeah yeah i think that's fair okay next one love this alan is asking about the donut derby race that's happening in a couple weeks and i've been hearing a bunch about this race and it's it's near where i used to live so it's it's one of the races that is kind of now on my bucket list i'm not gonna lie so it's a 36 mile race with stops at 12 and 24 miles where you get here's where the math comes in a three minute bonus for every donut that you consume and he's asking, how should I go about training for this? I suppose the key is being able to wolf down a donut in less than three minutes. So this is where the interesting math comes in. Because yes, you get a bonus for every three minutes. Or sorry, you get a three minute bonus for every donut you eat. But the donut is going to take you time to eat. As is stopping and restarting. Yeah. So you got to do some math here. And you said you weren't sure if like someone could come in and just eat 12 donuts. Oh, no, they can yeah yeah they absolutely can do that that's how people drop their times considerably like two negative times Ooh, that'd be you have to eat a lot of donuts yeah i don't know so i would go look again in that same way in that last question we're looking at you know other sports and similar sort of challenges and seeing what we can learn from that i would look certainly to the beer mile i would look to jeff kabush was on the podcast talking about his uh his was drink a beer do 50 push-ups drink a beer um, and so he talked about training with, uh, seltzer water just to, because a lot of the challenge was in the carbonation he felt. Um, and I think that actually would apply to donuts too, because you'd have the same kind of sense of that, like uncomfortable fullness in your stomach from like chugging a seltzer as you would from eating a donut. Yep. So your training should not look like housing a crap ton of donuts. That is not a good idea, but you can kind of substitute in with things like, doing a seltzer water even mid-ride just to feel how riding well maybe not a seltzer water necessarily because you're trying to put solids in but i would think i'm trying to think of like foods that would be fairly bulky i guess you could bring like essentially like loaves of bread or something yeah but that's that's not great either why not just do a donut at that point well and that's what i was going to question too is why not just do I mean, I guess, yeah, I'd probably just start fueling most of my rides with donuts for a while because, hey, why not? Yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of people, like, again, it it depends so much who you're talking about, right? If it's someone who's used to eating a lot on rides, you know, eating sufficiently on rides, Mm -hmm. 
using whole foods on rides, then that person's going to be maybe in a little better state than this person who's never eats on rides. Yeah. yeah so sure. like first order of businesses, you just got to be eating on your rides. Um, and then you might just try and bulk that up and, and just see, can I eat, you know, again, if you don't want to always be eating donuts, could you eat a sandwich or leftover pizza? And I, I think I would just try and challenge yourself a bit with that. It, you know, you hesitate to be like, you need to scarf this down as fast as you can and work on that. Like, but uh, it is part though, of the competition. That's, that's the technique. I'd also, in a in a weird way, my other thought had been starting a ride like immediately after a meal when you can do that. Because I think when you start the ride full, you're already getting some of that adaptation to like how it's going to feel at mile 24 when you've now eaten six donuts and you need to keep pedaling. Yeah. So I think there's some value to that. Um, but what yeah. is like the bulk? I don't know what the bulkiest food because you almost want to like what takes a long time to eat. The only thing that comes to mind is like a puffy loaf of bread or something. But I've, I'm trying to think of like eat like less uh, less caloric ones. And I'm like, I don't know, like a giant dill pickle. <sighs> People do pickles on rides. I don't know. Anything you can do with bulk. I guess it. the other side of the equation then is the intensity piece too. Cause I presume you're racing if you're yeah, right. I mean, so if you're breathing heavily, you know, this is part of the challenges that you're, you're working hard. So I think the other thing would be if you're not doing intervals that, you know, this is going to be beneficial just from your overall time. The other way to drop your time in this race is to be fitter and more ready to race. So in your recoveries, you could also carefully without choking, try and, you know, eat a, a bar or eat a, a donut, however you choose yeah. to go about it. I think I have two thoughts here. One would be looking at last year's and like, you know, just past year's results and trying to get a sense of like, are people really eating like 10 donuts that win or are they like the two donuts at each stop and like just crushing the actual bike itself? Because that's kind of a better indication of which side of the equation you kind of want to be on. I'm not sure what the route looks like. The other thought I had, as you mentioned, recovery was, um, I think if you're racing it and you do know you want to eat two or three donuts at a donut stop, um, the best way to save time there is probably going to be to in the minute ahead of the stop, like from mile 11.6 or whatever till 12, try to ease up and like bring your heart rate down because you don't want to come into the donut stop at like maxed out heart rate and try to start housing donuts you want to be like breathing steadily and like not a choking hazard yeah that's probably probably wise for sure i feel like we're really really breaking this down but to each their own and all goals are equal i mean hey i was also i almost threw out and i'm gonna throw it out uh the hot dog eating competitions right they dunk them in water and like wring them out yeah so I'm not saying you should do that with a donut, but you could do that with a donut. And I guess actually even honestly just mashing the donut down a little bit is probably going to make it easier to eat. Yeah. Right. If you think unless it's like a cake donut, in which case you're going to have a little more trouble. But <laughs> I'm kind of a donut connoisseur, I feel like. So this is it's a really important uh, question for me. Yeah. I mean, so hopefully there's some takeaways there, I guess. Like. I, I think probably the most specific thing you could do is just go out, do some intervals and just have a couple donuts with you and just stop on the side of the road carefully and eat a donut and then carry on. 
I mean, that sounds amazing to me. At so. least on the micro level, right? I don't know. If we're thinking like training for a full year for the donut challenge, then there's maybe a more... You know what? If this, depending on how this goes, let us know how it goes in a couple of weeks. And if you want like a year long training plan right. for it, we'll we'll get on it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, some more details just around like, can you really work the number of donuts, right? Because then it does become more of the like hot dog, uh, mm -hmm. like food eating challenge. Mm -hmm. But if, you know, everyone's just sort of doing one donut at, at two stops, then it's really time and then back to sort of bicycle riding. Mm -hmm. Okay, next topic. Um, Noelle is doing uh, a really long ride in a few weeks from now. It's 800 kilometers over five days, around 160K per day. So that's around 100 miles a day for non-Canadians. And she says it's a ride, not a race, and there will be stops for lunch and support, but she wants suggestions on fueling when riding that kind of distance. And I think that's that's really fair. It's honestly, it's almost more challenging to me if I think about that as a ride versus a race. Yeah. A race is pretty simple because you're like, okay, a hundred miles, you know, that's you know, between five like heck, between four and like say eight hours from and eight hours would be on like the longer side for most like serious people who are willing to race a hundred miles. Right. And this is road too. So yeah. it should be relatively smooth sailing. So right? if you were racing it, it'd be a lot easier because the focus would be much more on like, okay, just, you know, carb it up during, but really focus on that proper recovery afterwards and like the good pre race meal. Mm -hmm. um, but when you're talking about riding all day, I mean, you could easily be out there for, you know, from after breakfast till you get in with like a late dinner. I remember I did this with uh, Tim Johnson's ride on Washington like 10 years ago and same kind of situation, four days, about a hundred miles a day. And, you know, it was really difficult for someone, me at the time, like who hated eating on the bike by like day two, I very quickly learned to eat on the bike, but I was right. not a happy camper about it. And that's always the catch with these, right? Is especially if you're someone who's relatively fit and used to doing, you know, your Saturday long ride. Um, the ride is probably not one single day of riding is not intimidating. It's just that it's going to get stacked, right? So even though you're not racing, if you get behind on day one, then it just you're out all day, right? So it's even just ignoring the fact that you just pedaled a uh, hundred miles, mm -hmm. you, you know, you have your normal day of 2000 plus or minus calories, right? Just to be a person and, and be around. But then you also have whatever number of calories you put out throughout the day. And if you get behind on that, then it's tough. And the problem is you're out on a bicycle, you know, for the majority of the day. So if you don't eat a lot, then you're going to get in and it's like 8 p.m., 6 p.m., you know, and you go to dinner, sure, but you're going to have to like, you're going to just be ravenous and then that affects sleep. And, and there's then, also just only so much you can eat in one sitting before you Yeah, most people sick. just can and you either get sick or you're just like so full, right? Um, and, and it's hard. So in a lot of cases, like I just got back from this mountain bike stage race, similar thing. People asked about recovery and I was like, the biggest thing you can do is just not get behind during the day because you just some of the people are getting in like right before dinner if not during dinner yeah you know they've been out since 9 or 10 a.m and it's just you can't they're so tired you can't blame them they just want to go to bed but then we're up you know again 8 a.m and you got to eat and then you got to get out on the bike again right and it's your body's so far behind yeah and i mean i'll definitely say you know when you're doing this like by day two 
honestly, your appetite is super affected by this. So you're probably, you might go through periods where you are feeling ravenous, but a lot of the time, I think you're actually not going to feel hungry at all. So your hunger cues are just going to be completely messed up. So you kind of have to like understand and respect that, I think, going in and have a bit of a plan. And, yeah, you know, it might even look like, especially, you know, since this is fairly casual, you're not going to be, you know, as stressed on time and stuff. Honestly, I would even think about like um, logging my calories for yeah maybe. these days and just get like, at least. I think the first your point couple. on a plan makes sense. I think uh, we'll go back to what I've done in the past. I guess for similar rides. Again, I'm not st- that stressed on my performance in them, but you want to finish and you also just don't want to f- get grumpy, right? Like a lot of times, that's the challenge is that you want to be social and stuff on these. Um, so I think what I've done in the past is just, you know, if there's bananas at the aid stations, they're hand- I'll have a couple, a banana or two over the day. Uh, I'll usually carry, um, you know, a cliff bar or whatever your bar of choice is. Uh, on, and I'll have a couple of those. And then you're stopping, like usually the aid stations are well stocked. And again, you're not going so hard usually that it's a big deal. But if you are going hard, then you got to be a little careful with what you're eating, right? Just from a digestion standpoint, you don't mm-hmm. want to you know, go and have this like really tasty thing. And then it's not the great thing while you're riding. Well, and I I, honestly, even again, like I would expect your digestion to start getting a little iffy by day three, kind of almost no matter what, just because again, you're asking your system to do a lot of things. So don't be stressed on wonky digestion. My other thing I wrote down immediately was don't be stressed when you feel like you've gained 15 pounds in the four days or like by day three, you're just feeling super puffy and bloated. Like that's pretty normal for this kind of event. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't take that as a sign to be like, oh, I should eat less or I should drink less. Well, and I guess that's an interesting point too, is that they are stopping for lunch. So, I mean, there is that feeling. So my, my thought around like, Oh, you're at all day and you're not having lunch isn't necessarily true. Right. So there is, there is that lunch piece there. Right. So that is a nice little break. And, you know, again, you don't have to have the cliff bar for that hour or two because you've had lunch. Right. So that can certainly digest and go in and that's going to give you another hour or two where you don't necessarily need to eat. And, and, and I think hunger cues will, you know, influence that as well. Yeah, I think the only thing I would kind of add to that is being prepared to, you know, by the last day or two, especially if this is, you know, I know, I know this person happens to be a very good cyclist who has put in a lot of miles, so I doubt it's going to be as much of an issue, but, um, you know, by day three or four, you might be finding yourself in that, like, not hungry, don't want to necessarily eat the, like, sandwich or whatever is at the lunch stop so this i think is where having yeah like your go-to bar or for me you know that's tailwind like uh sports drink mix because it's super high calorie but the unflavored one is really really light so you don't even really notice it in your water so you'd still be getting in calories without like bothering your stomach i guess yeah so sort of have that like backup plan sort of ready to go in case none of the food is particularly appealing by the end yeah i think options right like i think that's gonna be i think you're onto something there like i i I would expect a lot of people would actually go the other way and and be like i'm sick and tired of cliff bars or or your bar of choice which isn't your bar of choice anymore um and just want some some real food and i think that that fits perfectly but Yeah. yeah just being a little ready for that but 
Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think these, especially more of these like charity rides, more casual rides are generally not a huge deal. Like you say, there's lunch and there's lots of food there. So usually the fueling isn't so much a problem as far as like finishing. Um, but I think where people get into trouble is they don't eat at all while they're on the bike. And maybe there's like a long period where they're not uh, able to get support or they're not eating or they're going harder than they expected. So just having something in your pocket so you can okay, this is going to be three hours of pedaling. You know, this group I'm with is going pretty good. It's just like a normal ride then, right? Like you just want to be eating. And then if it's like, no, we're stopping every single hour and it's like gourmet food, you don't necessarily need to, you know, you can drink straight water and make it between those stops. Mm -hmm. Oh, and this is not necessarily for this person, but in general, having been on a few of these charity type rides, um, the beer and wine situations most nights get a little extreme on some of these trips um, because you know for a lot of people like it is kind of a party um, and I'm I'm all about the glass of wine or the beer post ride for sure or you know two whatever um, but just make sure you're at least chasing them with a glass of water if not two right um, just to you know not rely on beer for your hydration at the end of these rides because i think that's a trap a lot of people end up falling into yeah there's a question like that at the stage race too and i mean the thing is like it's if, it, if you're asking like what is the best choice the best choice is not but it is part of again these these events right and it's often included which hooks me in immediately when stuff's included oh yeah um so yeah i think less is more and then trying to put water in between and um if you can not do it super close to bed, so cut yourself off earlier, uh, is a, again, just so it's not maybe affecting sleep as much would be another piece to that recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's a, a valid point as well. The, definitely the lunch stops, right, are, are tough. It's a little different for a lot of people who have been, you know, serious cyclists to stop for lunch. I know I have a, a couple clients who just did, you know, like a sort of Italy type European trip. And, you know, that was really odd to them, right, to stop you know, and then like solid lunch. Mm-hmm. And so I think just embracing that, especially if you're in a, a really cool setting, really cool group. And to me, I think the mentally I would approach that as just like separate ride. Like we're stopping for, you know, a, a beer and a burrito or whatever. I think that's the sort of the classic, is this two rides or is it one ride? If you can drink a beer and a burrito, it's two rides. And I think mentally for me, at least that would help me get over that hurdle of like, we're stopped for so long. It's just, yeah, we stopped and now we're, we're doing two rides today. We have an afternoon and a morning double day. To that end, I would actually, especially like given the level of support here and stuff, I would actually probably put a spare chamois in either the follow car or honestly in my back pocket. And I would legitimately change my shorts at lunch again has nothing to do with hydration or nutrition but no but when you're thinking about getting through the the not stage race but the the event happy right um i think that and i mean being comfortable at lunch again if you're someone like myself who would just be like going stir crazy like sometimes just new ride new kit um and i would think if this is supported you should be able to have a bag in the the van or something too right and that's very like cross-country skiers uh always change their undershirts that was something jen jackson told me um, you know, just to stay, keep the sweat off more for the cold weather and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right. But so that maybe fits too, just to feel nice and clean and ready for the afternoon. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people will take that time to like reapply chamois cream or something, but it's like, if you could just change your shorts and start out fresh, yeah. isn't that so much And better? make that break just really nice too. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like there's just nothing worse than sitting down to like a really nice meal with like a soggy chamois. 
Cool. So I think we have enjoy lunch, be ready for that mentally, and then just carry some bars. Because if you do get in rolling pretty hard in your morning workout, as we've decided this is going to be phrased, mm-hmm. um, it's nice to have that food on hand, right? And it seems odd when you're going to stop for catered lunch, but again, it sort of fits sometimes, and then other times you'll be fine between. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Enjoy. That sounds really fun. Yeah, seriously. Okay. Next question is super broad, but I wanted to ask it anyway. Um, how important is proper hydration for athletes and how much is enough? So we're going to answer this in super great detail next week. Yeah, pretty good. I think people are going to still have more questions than they started with, but uh, we have a really good expert coming on, really interesting guest uh, for next week, uh, dealing specifically with hydration. Yeah, but we wanted to kind of just jump in and, and kind of talk generally about this. Um so how important is proper hydration for athletes? This is a really interesting question because I mean, there's been research done that's, you know, I looked at like the, okay, the top marathoners are the ones that are getting the most dehydrated during the marathon. Right. So, you know, there's, there's like this one argument of, well, it's just not that important, but then that's, that's talking about acute hydration. Well, and it's talking about a two hour race versus a five hour race. Yeah, absolutely. And then if we're talking about like, chronic hydration say where you know it's how hydrated are we you know most of the time like these marathoners are not finishing the marathon and staying dehydrated right they're right yeah they're getting right back to it so i think we can so it depends on the person too right yeah so it's like is vitamin c important or iron important like for me you know i tend to i have maybe a bit of genetic stuff from my father's side there's like maybe a bit of iron overload type stuff so iron if we take that example is like is iron important for me no probably not but there's probably or there are a lot of especially female endurance athletes i was gonna say like one sitting on the couch with you right now right where it's like it's hugely performance enhancing right like it would be the difference between finishing you know the the run you mentioned you're doing tomorrow uh and not right potentially or, or just being able to like function as a human so a lot of these questions of is it good, we need to ask for who and then what are we trying to do, right? So is hydration important for someone who's not active and, you know, water is freely available? It's probably not a big thing. It could be if they're having headaches or some sort of symptom and, you know, they want to feel a little more energetic or something. But most people are going to drink to thirst and and be fine and their activity level is not so severe that it matters. But as a consummate athlete, you know, you're out, you're moving, it's hot you know, you're doing some activity. Um, so we do want to be drinking, mm-hmm. but it still doesn't necessarily answer the question of for you, are you the person who it's going to be re- hugely helpful or are you going to overdo it and be the person who's like over hydrating and, you know, at the back of the race because you're spending so much time drinking? Yeah. So I can, I can safely say this is the impossible question to ask literally any researcher, RD, yeah. anyone. Yeah, horrible article to try and write. I've been trying real hard to work on this article on nutrition for active kids and to even get an expert to give me a number, they all, a range of It number. depends, right? Yeah. Like, but and they don't want to say anything about kids probably. Exactly. Too. And yeah. it's really hard because as you know, if you're a parent and you're trying to figure out what the optimal number is, it depends, does not help you like, at think, all. And they probably go with, uh, I would think if I was a researcher um, and I was trying to answer that question, I would say something like just having it freely available for the kids and they'll come and drink a ton of water when they get thirsty. 
I mean, fine. You could have just written the article for me. Oh, okay. But is that, that's sort of the consensus. Yeah. I mean, that's what they've said. But you know, if you're a parent and you're trying to monitor this, like it'd be really nice to have a range, but to get any researcher to give you a Maybe it's nicer just to have a tap and just say like, hey kid, drink some water when you want to. Yeah. I don't know. Depends on what kind of parent. Like, I think that's what you see is like, they just, they won't drink a lot one day and then the next day they come in and they'll just like pound a ton of water eat a ton of food right they've been out um in the pool or something all day at a pool party birthday party they come back and then they just drink a ton of water the next day right because they didn't have a chance to eat and and drink as much they're just exhausted they go to bed right Mm. so i think as humans we are are like that too right kids are not necessarily special in that respect you know if you're out 43k you guys are self-supported on this run you're doing on saturday you might end end the day feeling a little dehydrated but then the next day you would expect that you're like oh damn i'm just so thirsty i need to drink right Mm -hmm. and so i think just maybe like being aware of i was out and it was super hot all day maybe you're seeing some symptoms like urine color changing so becoming more and more yellow hopefully not towards the brown (laughs) and like odd side of that scale yeah fingers crossed Um, but again that that urine scale is often a symptom uh dehydration would be a symptom Sorry, not dehydration. I mean, that would definitely be a symptom. Yes. Sorry. Um, The headaches is what I meant to say. You know, if you're getting like, I I find for me, I get a headache and it's like often it's just I've I've gotten behind. Mm -hmm. I either drink too much wine or um, have just got behind. Right. It's been a really hot day and I didn't drink a ton on the ride. Uh, Is there anything else as far as symptoms of dehydration that you would look at? Uh, I mean, we've talked about cramping, but that definitely can come from a bunch of different uh, different things. But I mean, hydration is kind of the easiest to, you know, to, to check. check on. Yeah. yeah. And, and then so that, I guess, ties into like there's electrolyte balance that's tied in with this. Right. So um, the risk at something like a marathon is you got someone who's exercising. So they're sweating, which involves sweating out some of your, your body salts, for lack of a better term, but you're sweating, there's salt coming out, but there's also water coming out. And then you're only replacing it with straight water, which then doesn't have any electrolyte. So then we worry in those races that that person's going to become hyponatremic, which is, you know, we sort of diluted our body. We don't have as much salts there. So that affects fluid balance just by the nature of how you pull fluid in and out of tissues so i guess we need to be careful with that and just make sure that we're not only drinking straight water but mm-hmm. that gets again that's this new layer of like oh no now i need like electrolyte tablets and salts and all this so hopefully next week with our our other podcast we can answer a few of these questions yeah and then hopefully we'll probably do a call out for specific like i think so yeah and really go hard on that but i think with the cramping that would be maybe a symptom that like maybe you're actually drinking lots and maybe there is like a need for salt yeah and that might just be salt added to your food or a sprinkle into the thing it might be an actual like electrolyte supplement Um, and it might be on the other side of this equation again there's lots of ways to tweak this it might be less water right again if you're the person who's walking around all day with a water jug and then you have a hydration pack in whatever type of workout you do um, you might just be overdoing it right Um, and so you can look up the norms on you know how much you need per hour it's like a small water bottle while you're exercising Um, but i think during the day some people especially the ones who are like giant like you know liter of water and they're filling that many times like you might just be on the the high side of that intake and if you find okay i'm peeing all the time and it's super clear Mm -hmm. um, those would be maybe some signs just to 
back off that and just see how you feel again. Try it for a week and see. I really enjoy the um, the optimal urine color is straw colored. It sounds very fancy. So I used to always think that straw meant like a str- plastic straw. You know, the ones we're not supposed to have anymore. Like we now we all use metal. Like white? I, like- I don't know. I was just like, I never understood what, like, I guess I was like, it's supposed to look like a straw. And I was like, straw. And then I realized that they meant like straw, like grass that has died like in the field right so it's like a light yellow well i mean hopefully someone listening has had this exact same issue and now feels no I, like and then like i lot. grew up in the country too so it's not like i'm like I'm not aware what straw is and yeah it was just yeah i don't understand i just was always really perplexed but isn't it funny that that's like the color that everyone talks about like straw colored in yeah. no other no other setting are we like Ah, yes, you know, the color of a meadow on a fine summer's day. Like, no, no, we never describe anything like that. But for some reason, when it comes to pee, we have to use this, like, nicer analogy than just being, like, light yellow. Yeah, it's an interesting piece. So I think the if you find, okay, it's, like, always clear and, like, I, you know, maybe you pee many, many times during the day. Um, I don't know. You put the number on many, I guess, but... Um, I think for a lot of us too, you know, you're getting into the vegetarian, vegan, paleo, whole foods, everyone's, you know, trying to do better with the food. Um, So I think as you pull out some of those pre-made foods and, you know, everyone's careful with their table salt and they don't want that. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things where we've pulled a lot of salt out of the diet. So I think you're starting to see now people, especially in this like healthy group of consummate athletes who are exercising and whole foods diet potentially you're not getting a lot of sodium and then we're sweating so much out so sometimes even just adding a bit more salt in Mm -hmm. uh, again that can be just adding table salt um, sea salt whatever into some beverage into your food certainly salt salt in your food to taste can be just an interesting piece of this hydration question when you said like they are taking away the table salt i was like i hate they yes (laughs) <laughs> well you have your own salt I issues say, i suppose not, my not dear. an issue that i have okay anyway um last question we're going to tackle for today we actually do have another few questions that we'll get into next time but these are nutrition ones so just kind of combining all of them uh how far out from a race do you eat in order to digest i mean the obvious start to this answer is it depends yep so we're gonna we're gonna just put that right out there um so I think let's go through the things that are with the depends. Uh, it depends on the event and it depends on the person. Um, but I think a lot of those questions you can answer by training specifically for your event, right? So it gets back to our track question earlier. Um, you know, a mountain biker or a cyclocross rider who needs to be ready for a hard start but a shorter race versus, you know, a gravel or an ultra runner like yourself where it's like a longer race but they often start earlier in the day. Um, so there's a bunch of factors there. And I think you can sort of look at the norms, and which we'll discuss in a second. But you also want to go out and test this, right? And make sort of that everyday stance, the battle stance, right? Where mm-hmm. you're, you're used to. And there isn't a question because you've gone out at 7 in the morning and done a run before. And you know that X strategy worked for you. And then there shouldn't really be much surprise on race day, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the early morning starts are a good one to talk about because I think like we're kind of spoiled in cycling where there's a lot of starts that are more in the afternoon and stuff. But 
I'd say the bulk of runs, whether you're talking like 5Ks, whether you're talking marathons, ultras, and triathlons, certainly, mm-hmm. start a lot quite of early. Sort of 5 to 7 a.m. type thing. Yeah. Like, I think every race I've done in the last two years, barring a couple of bike races, have been a 4.30 a.m. wake-up call. Right. Um, so, I mean, I think that's unfortunately the first place to start is um, the general the general is what, like, be, eat your meal, like, three hours out from competition. It seems to be pretty common. You see that three hours for that pre-race meal. Yeah. So, personally, for me, like, I guess I can maybe kind of talk about that, and then we can sort of break it down a little bit. Yeah, I think the only caveat there is that, like, you could have a snack. Um, there's always questions around the warm-up. Do you eat in the warm-up? Yeah, I guess um, this gets into, like, The what, gel on the line. What is like a that. meal? So, I guess maybe we'll clarify as, like, the meal would be, like, say, around, like, something in like the 500 ish calorie range. So just like a little bit heavier. Um, and then when you say snack, we're talking more like one to 200 calories. Is that like a fairly safe? Yeah. I think that's, that's fairly common. Yeah. So for me, if I have a race at say 7am, even if I don't have to travel to the race at all, even if I'm like five minutes from the venue, I'll still wake up at four in the morning and start eating pretty much as I roll out of bed. Um, I don't like it. <laughs> it's not my favorite thing to do, but I've learned over the years that if I don't eat an actual meal, like I'm not one of those people that can jump into, you know, say Iron Man and make it through the swim on like half a cliff bar and then get to the bike and then be like, okay, it's breakfast time. I'm going to start eating, which I believe is what you did. Uh, I think we did Iron Man maybe did like an incher or something. We right. might have been even two hours ahead and we sort of did, I think I did one or two just sort of liquid calorie type beverages, um, which you'll see a lot of people do that and that, you know, maybe buys you a little bit. It's really just, you're trying to like, it, does the gut need to be empty for the race? Does the blood sugar, like, are you concerned about sort of just letting that all stabilize? And again, some people it's going to happen faster, it's different types of food. It's going to happen faster, different types of races. It only matters so much right yeah and i mean your nerves play a role too right like if i actually if i wake up at five for a 7 a.m start i'm already in such a nervous state Mm -hmm. that the odds of me being able to eat an actual meal are low anyway yeah that's where you know you could maybe play with some digestive enzymes you could maybe play with again sort of the insure sort of like those really digestible meals sometimes are good oh no i'm the person that will like sit with like a bite of bagel in my mouth just like you can do this. You can do I can't do this. Yeah. Yeah. That pre-race meal is tough for some people for sure. And that's, I think, why that meal three hours out is sometimes good. But again, for some people, that's a long time to go without eating and they get like really nervous and feel like they're super hungry. And, you know, that could relate to a lot of things. You know, if you're if you're more of a grazer, right, that could be very tough. Right. So there could be something to play with there even in training as far as we could call that endurance. Um, or or not, right? It, it could be. It depends on your event and what you're trying to do. Now, admittedly, this is like kind of a hard one, and I'd like to get your take on it because if we're talking about game playing our runs and like you know game playing this race day, a lot of the times the breakfast that you would eat pre race is like pretty carb heavy. Definitely no veggies. Definitely no, you know, like you wouldn't really go high fat, high fiber, or anything like that. You're going easy digestion you know, probably even low protein. So how do, how do we practice that while also sticking to like a healthy daily diet? Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think most of us are training every day and constantly. Right. So 
it's really that pre-race workout or pre-ride workout. So like using your either, you know, in this case, like your long run or your hard run, I'd say. Sure. Once a week is probably a good. Yeah. Maybe that weekend one is like the one you try and go after. And as you get closer to the race, it becomes more and more specific. So you're maybe doing those earlier runs and you're sort of just simulating that a bit. Maybe you're not getting up at 4 a.m., but maybe there's like some element of simulation there. That's what I did a month and a half ago, I guess. Like I hadn't done a race in a really long time. So I had just like a long run on the schedule that we kind of pretended was like a race day almost. And And I think you shifted more like five or six wake up, I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I did a 4am. I think I did like a 530 or something, but it was still kind of, I tried to do like the same thing I would do on a race day. Just didn't really feel like getting up. At yeah. And some people like I know, like at Leadville, I it was early 6am for a hundred mile mountain bike race. And I pretty much just got out, had a bit of like, I think I just had green tea or something. Um, and then while you had to go sit in the start corral for a while. And I think just, I munched on a, a bar in that hour, 30 minutes before the race. And then away you go. Right. And you just start fueling right away. So I think that's definitely an easy one for the, the bike for sure. Compared to running, say just from a GI Maybe. I mean, I, I think when the calories are fairly low like that and you're just nibbling away, I don't think that that light snack in the hour before, it's just making sure that it's not like you're, you know, eating a ton. Oh, yeah. I just mean like kind of assuming that you're going to be able to eat enough on a run versus enough on a run. Oh, yeah. And that's the tough thing with those long days is you're definitely starting to like you're just going to get behind no matter what, right? Like that's really the, the challenge of those days is the the total calories out. So I don't want to sidetrack though because you were talking about simulating. And, and so I think that's, again, just sort of trying to iron out what you can do at that time of the day and what foods and what's attractive um, mm-hmm. at that time of day and before that type of challenge. Yeah, I mean, I think then the caveat would just be, you know, making sure that after your run, you're getting in a lot of like the, you know, good vet you know veggies proteins and all of that and kind of getting back well, to that like homeostasis of like a good balanced sure. diet but during as well too yeah. just making sure yeah um keeping it up but i think a lot of those race nerves because that is a big piece of that when do i eat beforehand is is just like making sure that you're training and therefore your your fueling is is matching up with what race day is right a lot of time that race day nerves is there's just something like what are we nervous about on race day is usually the question you want to go after right like is it are we really nervous about being around people or we don't know how our fitness is or we don't know right and it's it's normal to be nervous to be excited but it's a lot of times when it's like intense nerves like cannot eat at all there's just like something missing in that preparation and it might mean you need to go out and ride with people more often or train with people more often or go to weekly races or practice your starts or there's the things that we're nervous about like it's often just like we just haven't done them enough Mm -hmm. and we need to gain experience some of that is racing and you need to just get over it and race more and then that's just going to take time but there's a lot of stuff you can do in preparation and this pre-race meal pre-workout meal timing is just a piece of that you're developing this routine where I eat three hours before the workout. And then if it's a hard workout, you know, maybe I have a snack right before too, but if it's not a hard workout, then I just get going and do my endurance workout. Uh, and you get used to that stomach being a little empty, which is nice, right? Like when you start a race, you don't necessarily want your gut just like stuffed. Right? Yeah, for sure. So, and you just get used to that feeling of like, yeah, I'm the right level of sort of hungry, you know, empty versus being 
depleted too right and you get yeah. a sense for that i think the the only thing i maybe want to add to this is just um what works i mean obviously we've said it before what works for somebody else isn't going to work for you necessarily and i think so many people talk about like oatmeal for pre-race or you know this thing that they do for pre-race and like honestly that might not be the right meal for you so right i think it's also it's not just about timing it's about what you're eating for you so it has to you know both like digest well and also like feel good for you and you know it might not be like the you know the cool kid oatmeal it it might be you know that you find that like half a bagel is actually you sure. know, easier for you to digest easier for you to get through because i know for me if you put a bowl of oatmeal before like in front of me before a marathon i'm gonna look at it i'm gonna pick up a spoonful of it I'm gonna stare at that for a minute i'm gonna put it back down i'm gonna keep staring at the bowl for a while right and it's it's not gonna go very well yeah, so it's finding that thing for sure. And for that type of person too, that might be where like that 4 a.m. wake up just may not make sense. Like they may be better to sleep and do an hour or two hours before they have whatever snack they can and try and find that thing that you can actually eat. And again, that might be have to be insured to start off with yeah. or something. I was talking to a mom and a daughter when I was doing a talk a few weeks ago and they had asked me about pre-race meals and they were, the mom was like kind of appalled when I said I ate a bagel. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, but like I win races. <laughs> like she just could not compute that, you know, this this like unhealthy athlete choice was actually what really worked for me. And I was like, I mean, yeah, you can you can try everything else, but if if that's, you know, if an ego waffle is what works well for you, then like the ego waffle is what you should do. Yeah, it certainly gets to the you know, elite athletics is not always in line with health too. Exactly. Um, and that race day fueling isn't necessarily our everyday fueling, right? And and you sort of mentioned that earlier with vegetables and stuff like that, right? And it's just sort of shifting stuff around in the day and still making sure you get your, your salad or your vegetables. Just, you know, it might be in that couple hours after or dinner. If you had a morning workout, then dinner can certainly be, you know, quite healthful, yeah, and actually, um, we'll link to it in the show notes. I just did an article for Outside's uh, website talking about my like race day guide to a happy gut, and it kind of goes from like the night before through you know the night after the race, just kind of talking about what I've figured out over the years that works, and you know it's kind of backed up by research as well. So, we'll link to that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what else there would be. Like, I think the original question was just how soon before, and I think that three hours plus or minus maybe an hour is what you're going to generally see. And then I think if you snack away during your warm up during the hour before, that's not abnormal, especially for the shorter races. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, we will wrap up there as always. Let us know any questions. Uh, let us know how you enjoy the show. You can head over to iTunes, leave us a rating or review. That's awesome. It's super, super helpful. Um, if you have questions, you can find us on consummateathlete.com. There's a contact form or Hit us up on our Facebook page for The Consummate Athlete. That's where we got a bunch of the questions from this week. And you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. And we will see you next week. 